Hi and Happy New Year. Welcome to the Unveiled Podcast where we discuss all things related to women to help us think Christianly in every area of our life. I am missing Sandy today. This is Susie and Sandy usually does the introductions, but we're doing something different for New Year's. We are releasing our recap from our Women's Conference 2023. It was a highlight for our church. And we just want you to be able to listen in on those sessions, maybe as a first time, or maybe it's as a a reminder of the things that you learned back in May of 2023. So if you didn't listen to the last two podcasts, I encourage you to go back and listen to Rise Up in Humility and then Rise Up in Work. Today, you have the privilege of hearing from my good friend and partner in ministry teach a valuable lesson on evangelism. Dawn McKenna is our special guest. She is married to Corey McKenna, who is the founding president of the Cross Current, a ministry that equips churches by example to make sharing the gospel normal in all personal and community relationships. I know you will be encouraged by Dawn. She teaches Rise Up in Witness. Well, I was very humbled uh, when Susie asked me to come and speak on personal evangelism, especially since my husband, Corey, is the missionary evangelist in the family. So uh, I'll start with something that he always says when he begins his training. And he says, the fruit of evangelism is found in the field. And what this means is what you hear today is only as faithful as what you do with it. So before we dive into the teaching, my hope and prayer is that we would hold each other accountable by sharing the gospel with just one lost family member or friend. In fact, why don't you right now just jot down the name of the first person that the Lord lays on your heart and begin praying that he gives us all the boldness to share the gospel with them. So what is the gospel? Before I teach the basic doctrine of the gospel, I want to share with you something that the Lord used in my life to give me a clearer understanding of what the gospel is. Years ago, I was reading a book called Glimpses of Grace by Gloria Furman, and as I came to the second chapter of the book, the title caught my attention, Don't Smurf the Gospel. So I'm thinking to myself, what on earth is this gonna be about? Growing up in a non-Christian home in the 80s, the Smurfs were very much a part of the Saturday morning cartoon routine. But after I became a Christian, I learned that they weren't as warmly welcomed into Christian homes. So what on earth was this author going to, how is she going to liken the gospel to the Smurfs of all things? Well, here's what she writes. The Smurfs have their own distinct culture marked by normative Smurf behavior and even special vocabulary words. It's Smurfy outside. Smurf this for me, will you? Find that Smurf. Is Smurf a noun, an adjective? Not even the Smurfs can put a tiny blue finger on it because of the obscurity of the word. I wonder if the meaning of the word gospel has gone the way of the Smurfs. What is gospel? Is it a noun, an adjective, a cause, a message, a lifestyle? Is everyone right or at least close to the real meaning of the word? Clarification and careful definitions are the only way we can know that we rightly understand each other. If we aren't clear on what the Christian gospel is, then what is at stake is not merely a harmless misunderstanding, but eternal life and death. So back to my question, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that our perfectly just and loving creator God, who continually blesses us, has looked upon hopelessly sinful humanity and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear his wrath in our place. 
Through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, Jesus showed us his supreme power over sin and death so that everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus alone as both Savior and Lord will be made righteous and reconciled to God now and forever for his glory. So how do we define this? Well, Paul defines it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Most simply put, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But catch the depth of what Paul is saying here. He's saying that I've received this most amazing gift and it's the first and most important thing that I need to tell you. It's all about Jesus and what he did to redeem us and save us from our sin. That's the gospel we've been called to share. And just as a side note, uh, Corey did want me to mention that if you did want to get better equipped in biblical evangelism, uh, he encourages you to check out our our biblical conversations curriculum uh, with the cross current at biblicalconversations.ca. So in addition to sharing the gospel, we need to acknowledge that Jesus also said this in the context of being his witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Greek word here for witness is martus and simply means one who gives testimony. But it goes much deeper because martus is also where we get the English word martyr because a Christian witness came to be known for one who was willing to suffer and even die for their testimony of faith and hope in Christ. So in my church, my pastor likes to sum up his sermons with one big idea. So what's our big idea if we put these two truths together here today? Well, it's this. To rise up for Jesus in witness, we must both share the gospel and be Christ's witnesses in every season of life. So this afternoon, I will share some practical tips and will do so by teaching through testifying of the different seasons of my life and to try and make it personal and practical for everyone here. But before I dive in, first and foremost, ladies, because before we enter any witnessing encounters, we need to pray. Prayer needs to be our first response and not our last resort. We need to get on our faces and petition for the souls of those in our lives who don't know Jesus, that they would come to saving saving faith in him. I heard Dana Gresh say it this way, this is not a time for spa retreat prayers. This is a time for messy wartime intercession. We need to pray that we will be obedient daughters of the king and be his light in this dark world. We need to pray that we will be bold to proclaim what Paul tells us tells us is of first importance of what we've also received. We need to pray that we will continually sow and water the seeds of the gospel that have been planted. A dear friend of mine once said to me that we need to pray that we will not only be the hands and feet of Jesus, but also his mouth, because faith comes from hearing. Ladies, you cannot water an unsown seed. So as I share some pictures and some practical tips, I just wanna reiterate that faith only comes by hearing the gospel, not just seeing pictures of Christ. So as we rise up for Jesus through every season of life, we still have to preach the word in season and out of season. And with that great commission before us, what does our gospel witness look like? 
Well, one thing we need to remember that as we step into any witnessing encounters, that Jesus's ministry was not one size fits all. The message of the gospel never changes, but each situation or conversation will be a custom paint job, so to speak. So with that, let me share with you how gospel witness has looked in my life using five practical tips on five different seasons and circumstances of my life. So practical tip number one is marriage is the first picture of the gospel. Ephesians 5 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. God's word teaches us that marriage is the first picture of the gospel. Both my husband and I grew up in non-Christian homes. Our parents did the absolute best they could with what they had and what they knew. Um, we were loved, we were well provided for, but despite this, both of our homes of upbringing were still broken. My parents divorced when I was three, and my grandparents helped raise me until, I was, uh, until my, my mom remarried when I was 10. Corey grew up in a home where his parents stayed together, mostly out of religious obligation. When I was 17 and he was 20, we both knew early on that we wanted to be married despite the, the example of marriage in our homes of upbringing. Two years into our relationship, we got saved in a little church plant and our newfound faith was very confusing for our parents, extended family, and friends. Six weeks after I got saved, we were married and we started plugging into this little church. We were spending time with and growing closer to our pastor and his family. They had five young daughters at the time, and they would open their home to us on Saturday nights for fellowship and potlucks and games. And um, we were, what we were seeing displayed through this family was a picture of Christ and his church, even though we didn't realize it at the time. But we did recognize that this is how we wanted our marriage to be. I don't think they realized the impact that they had on us. Through their hospitality, we saw firsthand how the, our pastor loved his wife and how she respected him. This beautiful picture of Ephesians 5 on display as this faithful pastor and his wife discipled us in our early days, watering and cultivating the gospel seed in us, not only as new Christians, but as a newly married couple as well. And you can see that's our pastor, Mike, right there. And her book, Feminine Appeal, Carolyn Mahaney says it this way. We can adorn the gospel with our lives, to adorn means to put something beautiful and attractive on display, like placing a flawless gemstone in a setting that uniquely shows off its brilliance. Christ is that flawless gemstone, and the church should be the setting that shows off its brilliance. So let your marriage be that something beautiful and attractive on display. And if you're not married, please just take anything you've heard here, and if you're discipling somebody, share that with them so they can be that example of the gospel in their marriage, because marriage is the first picture of the gospel. Practical tip number two, worship and witness through trials. The psalmist says in Psalm, 40, Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. And James tells us to count it all joy, my brother, 
my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So even though my bio says I have two young adult sons, Joshua and Caleb, I'm actually the mom of four boys. I have two other sons, Canaan and Judah, pictured here. Canaan is on the left and green, and Judah's on the right. Uh, they were, they're all both already present with the Lord. They were born with a very rare genetic disorder. Canaan, our first child, uh, Canaan was our first child in what I thought was a perfect pregnancy, uh, with the exception of being sick for 24-7 for nine months. Um, I thought things were good. However, after he was born, he started making a strange noise while he was breathing. So they took him to the special care nursery. And a few short hours later, in the middle of the night, I heard code blue over the intercom. It was our son. We were living in Guelph at the time, uh, so shortly thereafter, he was taken to the NICU at McMaster University Children's Hospital in Hamilton. It took us a few days to get our footing, but we knew we had a choice to make. We could either put into practice all we had been taught since becoming Christ followers, or we could turn our backs and shake our fists at God. In his loving kindness, God graciously allowed us to take our eyes off ourselves and our situation and have eyes to see all that was happening around us. He was truly showing us how to worship and witness through our trial. He opened so many amazing doors to testify of his grace during that time. We were able to pray with another family whose daughter was in very serious condition. She was just a couple days older than our son. We testified to doctors that we believed in, God, in a God who was in control of this situation. We were able to sing and pray and read scripture with our son at his crib side. We even had the opportunity to verbally share the gospel with Canaan's primary care nurse, Tina. And we built a relationship with her during the month that he was in her care. Many thought we were in denial of the severity of the situation, but even through that, God allowed us to testify to his grace, peace, and saving power, and that we were wholly trusting in him no matter the outcome. After Canaan died, Tina came to his memorial service, and the gospel seed that had been watered in her had been, had been sown in her had been watered again through the preaching of the word there. We were also able to give her a Bible in Canaan's memory. Many of our family members and friends were watching too. And God again turned beauty from ashes and watered the seed of the gospel that had been planted in them through our worship and witness in this trial. Nine years later, we found ourselves in a very similar situation when our son Judah had been born. This time it looked very different. We had two little boys at home and I needed the Lord to give me his strength to endure this again. But most importantly, I needed to help my children see God in this situation. Admittedly, I was very angry at God this time but I again had a choice to make. I could choose to stay angry or I could choose to still worship and be Christ's witness in this situation for my kids. Little did I realize I was being a witness to others as well. The non, not only the non-Christians in my life, but the Christians as well. After Judah's death, our church, and in particular, our small group rallied together to pay for our son's funeral, for flights to Nova Scotia so he could be buried next to his brother. And on top of it all, they even came into our home and cleaned the whole thing from top to bottom and did all the landscaping and everything outside. This gospel witness in how the displaying of bearing one another's burdens spoke volumes to our neighbors. The flawless gemstone who is Christ being brilliantly put on display once again through the love and good works of his people. One of our neighbors said to one of the men in our small group, I didn't think people did things like this anymore. 
So what trial are you going through? How are you going to worship and still testify to the hope we have in Christ? What choice do you have to make as you are amidst your, stuff, amidst your suffering to maintain your witness for him? I urge you to count it all joy as you endure trials of various kinds because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And in his strength, we can worship and witness through trials. Practical tip number three, see and be an example in evangelism. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Or as ESV puts it, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So before I testify to this principle in my own life, let me share a real life illustration of how my husband experienced the impact of imitation, specifically in evangelism. Back in 2006, Corey had the opportunity to go to Los Angeles for an evangelism boot camp. They spent 12 hours a day for four days passing tracts, sharing the gospel one-on-one with strangers and even preaching in the open air. So the photo here was just taken around that time. But backing up the truck about 20 years, Corey had, and still somewhat has, a fascination with white Bengal tigers. Sorry, I, I missed one point there. It was at this boot camp that he met his team leader, Tony, who was, he was his team leader. Sorry, I jumped ahead there. So back to the tiger fascination. He researched how he could have a pet tiger. So, <laughs> and according to his research, it is possible to have a pet tiger as long as you take it right from its mother as a kitten and raise it domestically and never let it see another tiger. The reason being that is if your ginormous domesticated kitty sees another tiger, it instantly figures out what it is and what it was created to be. So I tell you this because Corey had just finished Bible college and had been pastoring a few years, but he really had no clue how to share the gospel and be a witness for Christ. However, when he saw the example of Tony the Tiger, as he likes to call him, he instantly knew who and what he was created to be. This is the example that God used in him to birth the vision for the cross current, and it's a ministry that does equip the church by example to help people discover their inner tiger. We've all been called to share the gospel and make disciples of all nations, not just those who feel burdened beyond and spend a lot of time witnessing with strangers. We all need to be like Paul and be imitators of him as he is of Christ. But can I just say, especially as the wife of someone who is a vocational evangelist, this is not easy. Many, for many years, my most feared question was, do you go out in the streets with Corey to witness? And despite the example I did have in him, I would often hide behind the fact that I needed to stay home with my kids. But God in his grace once again told me that in that season, that was my mission field. I was caring for home base so Corey could go but please don't hear what I'm not saying. I have served on gospel outreach teams in the community within our church because we are all commanded by Christ to share the gospel. And I do feel a sense of urgency and a burden for those in my life who do not yet have saving faith, like my parents or friends I have grown up with or hockey parents that we've gotten to know over the years, along with our neighbors and the list goes on. We need to sow that gospel seed. I am well aware that even when we have a good example, evangelism is probably the hardest discipline of the Christian faith, but it is the one thing we can't do in heaven. We all don't need to go on street corners, but if God is calling you to that, go. 
Your mission field is right where you are standing. So see and be that example right there. As a hockey mom, God gave me many opportunities to share, my, share the gospel through my testimony with other parents. Over time, this resulted in a few of the families even coming to church, one who had never been through the doors of one before. And although they have not yet made a profession of faith, we are still friends to this day. And in their times of trouble, whether it be through the death of a parent, a divorce, or the craziness of the last three years, they have come and called on us. Another God-given chance to water the seed of his gospel in them. So before I move on, I do want to encourage you in the broader biblical application of this point about seeing and being an example. What would your life and witness look like if we would all see and be an example of evangelism everywhere God has placed us? See and be an example of evangelism, evangelism wherever your mission field is. So practical tip number four, a vision for family evangelism and discipleship. In Deuteronomy 6, we read, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And in 3 John 1, it says, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear of my children walking in the truth. We all want to experience the joy of having our children walk in the truth. And that requires shepherding their hearts. So we think, so we need to think of their hearts like gardens for gospel seed. If we don't intentionally and, and, and intelligently cultivate them, the weeds of the world will creep in. That's why we need to be fiercely intentional with our children, and that all starts with hitting our knees and asking God to give us a vision for this, for family evangelism and discipleship. One thing that we often forget is that until our children make a profession of faith, we are actually evangelizing them and not discipling them. You cannot disciple an unbeliever even if it is your own precious child. It's our job to teach them the gospel, to live out the gospel, and as I already mentioned, show them Jesus in everything and what he's done for us. As a stay-at-home homeschooling mom, I felt an enormous responsibility, first to my Heavenly Father and to my kids to teach them the way they should go. So you can see this older photo of them working away at their schoolwork. I think that was probably staged, but that's okay. <laughs> um, it was a Facebook post, I'm sure, at one point. But... Uh, in addition to our regular schoolwork at home, uh, each, day, each week we would do Missions Monday. We would take this day to learn about the heroes of the faith and their work for the Lord. Reading about these men and women really convicted my heart in my effort to teach my kids. But it wasn't until I heard Vody Bauckham speak at a conference that totally shifted my thinking. In his talk, he asked and answered, why do we teach our children math? Because God is a God of order. He then asked, why do we teach our children to read? Because God has revealed himself through written word. And then why do we teach our children science? We teach our children science because science means knowledge and God is the source of all knowledge. This shift in my thinking caused me to even take this one step further in teaching my kids things like geography because of Christ's command to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. 
All of these are the reasons we taught them the scriptures of faith and of faithful men and women that God used to advance his kingdom and work out his story for all the ages. We had a vision for family evangelism and discipleship. We even came up with a family mission statement, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love others as he's loved us, and to thankfully and passionately glorify him in every thought, affection, word, and action, while always enjoying Jesus as our greatest pleasure and most precious treasure. We have this hanging in the entryway of our home, not only as a reminder for us as a family, but also as a segue to share the gospel with those who enter our home. We also involved our kids in outreach ministry as much as we could and with what was age appropriate. They would do things like make sandwiches for the team that was going to the men's mission. They would pass tracts or church information uh, in community outreaches. They served in local soup kitchens and eventually uh, in the market ministry that we had in our church. We tried to seize every opportunity to show them how they could be involved in the advancement of the gospel, no matter their age or what capacity. One time in particular, we had just left church and there was a man standing on a street corner holding a sign. We heard this little voice in the back of the seat say, Daddy, that man's hungry. We need to get him something to eat. So Corey asked the boys how much money they had. I think they found about 30 cents in the back of the van. So we rounded out the difference and we headed to the nearest fast food place and we bought that man a, a meal and a bottle of water. We circled back and then Corey and the boys got out of the van and approached the man with this bag of food and a tract in hand. Corey modeled our boys to shake his hand, to look him in the eye and ask him his name. His name was Patrick. Corey preceded him to hand him the food and the gospel track and tell him that because of the love of Jesus that saved him, they were able to love him in this way and share this, share this message with him. And they were doing this and not, and not only providing for his physical needs, but also his spiritual needs as well. After their brief, brief exchange, we drove away and Caleb couldn't take his eyes off this man eating his burger and reading the tract that they had just given him. His life was so impacted by this encounter that about six months later, we were praying at bedtime and Caleb says, we should pray for Patrick. Admittedly, I didn't include this in my notes. We didn't know who he was talking about, so shame on us. But Caleb remembered, it impacted him. It was after this that God, um, it was after God gave us a vision for family evangelism and discipleship that he used this experience to forever mark Caleb's life. I tell you all of this to encourage you all to be intentional, to look for opportunities to be a witness. Think about Zacchaeus. Jesus saw Zacchaeus because he was looking for him in that tree. So again, like Paul said, we need to be imitators of Jesus and model that for our kids and get a vision for family evangelism and discipleship. Practical tip number five, sharing the gospel through spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And in 1 Peter 4 we read, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good steward, stewards of God's varied grace. So the photo I used here, I don't know if it's uh, this photo here, yes. I chose this one because at this 
the Lord has been gracious to us and all of us are serving the Lord in some capacity using our spiritual gifts. But I also need to tell you that my 21-year-old also wanted me to tell you that he is available. So, <laughs> so I'm just gonna leave that there <laughs> and get back to this. So he was at the young adult conference here. Both my boys were actually. So back to the point. <laughs> We can talk later, okay. <laughs> As a member of the body of Christ, do you know your spiritual gifts? Sorry, I need water after that one. <laughs> so, okay. As a member of the body of Christ, do you know your spiritual gifts? And if you know them, do you share the gospel and witness using them? I want you to think about this conference, for example, and all the work that's gone on putting it together. When it was just Susie visioning this, there was only one piece of the puzzle. But as Sandy and Lexi and Deb and everybody else came along, we had more pieces of the puzzle. And all those pieces coming together came to complete this beautiful weekend that we are all now a part of. We are seeing and experiencing the full picture. This is what it looks like when we come together and gospel witness using our spiritual gifts. One person on their own is only one piece of the puzzle that shows us a picture of Jesus. But when we all come together with the gifts that we've been given, the fuller the picture we have. You may not be the one who's front and center sharing the gospel. Maybe you're the person whose contribution is alongside that person in the background. Can I encourage you that you are just as much a part of the mission as the one who is up, who is up front? Now, I'm not saying that you don't need to know how to articulate the gospel because you do. Remember, Paul told us it's of first importance. We cannot presume on God's grace because, and wait to share with people because we do not know the number of their days, which is one reason why I asked you to write down the name of a person that the Lord laid on your heart. I do say all of this to say that God does use your behind the scenes gifts too. In our church, we do family-friendly outreaches four times a year, and we staff these according to spiritual gifts. Our next one will be on Canada Day, and I will be there using my administrative service and helps gifts. I will be behind the table, handing out balloons, water, church info, and Bibles. There will also be people there gifted to pray for those who will stop by. There will be those passing tracts and having gospel conversations one-on-one, -on -one. all of us together unified, one body made up of many members in our community displaying that full picture of Christ. So if you are unsure of what your spiritual gifts are, I would encourage you to find them out and start using them in your gospel witness. So now I have a gospel challenge for you. Throughout the, these five points, I've tried to give you some practical tips to be a gospel witness in different seasons of life. But as I said in the beginning of the session, the fruit of evangelism is found in the field. So here's my challenge to you today. Prepare and share your gospel testimonial with that lost loved one that you jotted down when the session started. God has graciously given us all our own gospel glory stories to share with lost loved ones. This could happen over a cup of coffee or you could even record yourself sharing it and post it on social media. Do you know you can share your story in less than three minutes answering three basic questions? 
What was your life like before you were saved? How and when did God save you to himself? How has your life changed since you've been saved? Can you imagine what it would look like if all of us here did this and lit up social media with gospel glory stories? So to be an evangelism example to you all today, I'm gonna sum up my testimony in my three minutes um, answering these questions here. When I was a little girl, I attended an Anglican church and Sunday school with my grandfather. And after my confirmation at the age of 13, I was completely disinterested in attending church and started down a rebellious teenage route. It was during this time that I became a people pleaser and this expressed itself in many ways. I did what I thought I had to do to fit in or be accepted. This created a lot of insecurity in me that lasted for many years. When I was 17, I met my now husband, Corey, and a year into our relationship is when everything started to change. It was when Corey's best friend's brother was killed in a motorcycle accident of September of 94 that God started to remove the blinders from my eyes. After this funeral, Corey began to attend church more and ask a lot of questions. Being a supportive girlfriend, I started attending the different churches with him, and we finally ended up in this little school church in a, a school, a little church in a school gymnasium that was completely different than anything I had grown up accustomed to. The first day I walked in, the lady standing at the door welcomed me with a big hug and a smile, and I instantly knew there was something different about this place. This was Easter Sunday in 1995. And while I had grown up hearing the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, and even somewhat believed it, I never actually believed for myself that Jesus would die and rise again for me and redeem me from my sins. We started attending this little church regularly, and I would hear the same message of salvation week after week. And the pastor would ask if anyone would want to respond to this message for themselves, to repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus, to save them from, it, from an eternity in hell. And week after week, I would suppress the changes that were happening in my heart and mind until one Sunday in June of 1995, I stopped suppressing the work that God was doing and I surrendered my life to Jesus, now finding my identity in him. After giving my life to Jesus, things have not always been easy. I've buried two infant sons who suffered from a rare genetic condition. There have been times of financial strain and many other things that don't make sense to our human minds. But through it all, the more I read the Bible and put my hope and trust in the promises of God, the more I have been able to make sense of this life. Scripture verses like Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your, your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. In Hebrews six nineteen, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. These are the words that God has used in helping me live my life for him. I have not done it perfectly and I still have sinned and fallen back into my old ways at times of trying to please people. But God who is rich in mercy, reminds me again and again that I am his. And because I have confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus is Lord and Lord of my life, I can rest in the promises from his word. So that's my three minute gospel glory story. What's yours? Let's all take every opportunity we can to rise up for Jesus in gospel witness in every season of life. 